In dealing with the Lakotas, he acted just as treacherously. The treaty between the Lakotas and the United States had been signed at Fort Laramie in 1868, the year before Grant took office. From this day forward, the document began, all war between the parties to this agreement shall forever cease. Under the Fort Laramie Treaty, the United States designated all of present-day South Dakota, west of the Missouri River, including the Black Hills, as the Great Sioux Reservation for the Lakota's absolute and undisturbed use and occupation. The treaty also reserved much of present-day northeastern Wyoming and southeastern Montana as unceded Indian territory, off-limits to whites without the Lakota's consent. To entice Lakotas onto the reservation and into farming, the United States promised to give them a pound of meat and a pound of flour a day for four years. Whether those who wished to live off the hunt rather than on the dole could actually reside in the unceded territory, the treaty did not say. All Lakota land, however, was to be inviolate. Most Lakotas settled on the reservation, but a few thousand traditionalists rejected the treaty and made their home in the unceded territory. Their guiding spirits were the revered war chief and holy man Sitting Bull and the celebrated war leader Crazy Horse. These non-treaty Lakotas had no quarrel with the Wasatchus, whites, so long as they stayed out of the Lakota country. This the Wasatchus largely did, until 1874. Custer's official mission that summer, finding a site for a new army post, was permitted under the treaty. Searching for gold was not. As the pressure rose on Grant to annex the Black Hills, his first resort was rough diplomacy. In May 1875, a delegation of Lakota chiefs came to the White House to protest shortages of government rations and the predations of a corrupt Indian agent. Grant seized the opportunity. First, he said the government's treaty obligation to issue rations had run out and could be revoked. Rations continued only because of Washington's kind feelings toward the Lakotas. Second, he, the Great Father, was powerless to prevent miners from overrunning the Black Hills, which was true enough given limited army resources. The Lakotas must either cede the Paha Sapa or lose their rations. When the chiefs left the White House, they were all at sea, their interpreter recalled. For three weeks, they had alternated between discordant encounters with hectoring bureaucrats and bleak hotel room caucuses among themselves. At last, they broke off the talks and, the New York Herald reported, returned to the reservation disgusted and not conciliated. Meanwhile, miners poured into the Black Hills. The task of running them out fell to Major General George Crook, the new commander of the military department of the Platte, whose sympathies clearly rested with the miners. Crook evicted many of them that July, in accordance with standing policy, but before they pulled up stakes, he suggested they record their claims in order to secure them for when the country opened up. Throughout these proceedings, Crook thought the Lakotas had been remarkably forbearing. How do the bands that sometimes roam off from the agencies on the plains behave now? A reporter asked him in early August. Well, Crook said, they are quiet. Do you perceive any immediate danger of an Indian war? The reporter persisted. Not just now, Crook answered. Grant gave negotiation one more try. He appointed a commission to hold a grand council on the Great Sioux Reservation and buy mining rights to the Black Hills. The only member of the commission who knew the Lakotas was Major General Alfred H. Terry, the urbane and kindly commander of the Department of Dakota. Why not, he suggested, encourage the Lakotas to raise crops and livestock in the Black Hills? No one listened. 
The Grand Council convened that September, but quickly foundered. Crazy Horse refused to come. So did Sitting Bull. When the commission sent a messenger to talk to him, he picked up a pinch of dirt and said, I do not want to sell or lease any land to the government, not even as much as this. Subchiefs and warriors from the non-treaty Lakota villages did attend the council, but to intimidate any reservation chief who might yield. Gate-crashing whites, some well-meaning and others of questionable intent, advised the reservation chiefs that the Black Hills were worth tens of millions of dollars more than the commission was prepared to offer. Those chiefs then said they would sell, if the government paid enough to sustain their people for seven generations to come. The commission sent word back to Washington that its ample and liberal offer had been met with derisive laughter from the Indians as inadequate. The Lakotas could not be brought to terms, except by the mild exercise, at least, of force.